Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey listeners, this is Sarah Archer. Before we get started with today's show, I have a quick word. Charlotte Reader's podcast now has podcast books. It's true, we have two kinds, fiction and nonfiction. Our fiction book is titled Death by Podcasting, co-written by Landis and me. It's a comedic mystery where we make fun of podcasters and writers in the vein of only murders in the building. It was a lot of fun to write, and it's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. We also have eight nonfiction quote books created from over 500 podcast interviews. The Right Quote series is a collection of inspirational and practical quotes about writing, publishing, and book marketing from the first four years of the podcast. The books come with forewords and reflections by Hannah, Landis, and me. They're available in paperback and ebook. And here's a bonus. The first ebook in the series about the writing life can be downloaded for free. You can find links for all nine books at the podcast books page of charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. And if you read our books, thanks for reading. Now let's get on with the show. In this episode 377, we feature two Charlotte area memoirists, Gilda Marina Syverson and Bruce McIntyre, whose memoirs have garnered wide praise from the writing community. We focus on Gilda's recent book, A Healing Journey, from 9-11, Beyond the Pandemic, and Bruce's book, There Are No Answers Here, Only Questions. Yeah, in addition to diving into Gilda's and Bruce's themes of healing while navigating life's questions, we tap into their expertise to learn more about memoir writing. Yeah, uh, Gilda, it's uh, good to have you back on the show. You're one. You were one of my very early interviewees, uh, and uh, I want to congratulate you on the recent publication of a healing journey from 9/11 beyond the pandemic. Welcome to the show again. Thank you, Landis. Thank you very much, and thank you, Hannah. I appreciate being back. Yeah, it's great um, to meet you. Yeah, <laughs> you too. We've ever met Bruce and I'm, I know each other, but I've never met you, so this is yeah, great. <laughs> great to meet you too. Yeah. 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 And Bruce, uh, you've written for our community blog before, um, and uh, I've read your book too. I enjoyed it. It's good to have you on the interview portion of this show, and congratulations on your book. There are no answers here, only questions. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Well, thank you. Thanks, and nice to be with you. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk about both your books. Uh, I read them both, uh, learned a lot. Uh, uh, there were some answers in there. We'll talk about that, but we'll see. Uh the, uh, but first, we're going to do uh, this thing we do at the beginning of each month. We've got we're going to do book recommendations, and then we've got an elevator pitch uh, this month as well. Um, I'll remind listeners that um, if you're an author and you have a book and you want to try doing your 30 second elevator pitch, you just go to the contact page of Charlotte's podcast and and give it a whirl, and uh, we'll play it on the podcast. Uh, and uh, it's not easy to do, but it's it's worth it and it's fun to try. So. Um, all right, so uh, we'll start with our guests. We asked them to bring a book recommendation. Uh, Bruce, uh, what book are you going to recommend today? Uh, well, I, I I guess I would start by mentioning um, Mimi Herman's Kudzu Queen, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, as much <laughs> as I did. like the Kudzu <laughs> Queen, I'm going to talk about Judy Goldman's book, Child. Um, Judy is a local author here in Charlotte, but an absolutely spectacular person. Um, let me meet, read you a few 
lines from the back cover. Child is the story of Judy Goldman's relationship with Maddie Cook, the black woman who worked for her family as a living maid and helped raise her. It is also the story of Maddie's child who was left behind to be raised by someone else. It is an incredibly an incandescent book of small moments, heartwarming, heartbreaking, and ultimately inspiring. Uh, I highly recommend Child by Judy Goldman. Yeah, and we've, we've had Judy on the show before. Uh, she was also one of our early guests, and <clears throat> that was a good book. And nice to mention that one because uh, she is uh, one of the giants or giantesses or whatever you want to say that in the community when it comes to memoir writing. And uh, yeah, so thanks for that, Bruce. Uh, Gilda, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is Between the Sky and the Sea by Lisa Williams Klein. When I think about a book that really captured me, and I didn't want to put down this past six months or so, and there were a few, the one I chose was the historical fiction by my good friend Lisa Williams Klein. It's about the ship, the Pulaski explodes and sinks, but these two young characters survived the drowning that happened um, to most of the people on the ship. I love history. I love women taking their power back, even in 1838. It was just a page turner for me. And I've requested that Lisa write a sequel. So I want to know um, what happened, because I want to know what happened to the characters she created. Well, that's good, because Lisa is a supporter and listener of the show. So hopefully, uh, Lisa, if you're listening, you just got the message. It's time to write time to write your sequel, you know, <laughs> get on with it. Um yeah, thanks. All right, thanks for that, Gilda. Uh, Hannah, what's your recommendation? First, I love Lisa also, so mm -hmm. shout out to Lisa. She's such yeah. a sweet, talented, wonderful person. Um, great book. Love that recommendation. I am going to recommend a book called The Other Mothers by Catherine Faulkner, and probably just because it's fresh on the mind. I just did an interview with her for the show yesterday, um, which will air I think at some point in the next several weeks, but she is just awesome. And this is a, it's a thriller book and it's about, um, I love a good mystery thriller, uh, novel and it's about a nanny that kind of turns up dead. And, um, she's, it's about the parent or the mother is a part of a play group of, uh, with little kids and other parents and that kind of thing. And, um, it turns out that the other mothers in the play group are kind of tied to the murder of this nanny. Um, and it's very, it's like a different, a different type of thriller because, uh, it's not so much of like the physical setting it's, and like her surroundings in that way, but she creates tension just with like the relationships between the characters. Um, it was just something I'd never, honestly, it was it might've been the best thriller I've ever read in my life, I think, wow. because it was just what a build up! It was so beautifully written and like, I mean, the, the pacing, it was just perfect. So, um, if you're a person who loves thrillers, um, and sort of like relationship dramas, this is sort of a mix of all of those things. It was great. All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, yeah. I'm, Hannah just did that interview. I just edited it. It's going to come out, uh, in the first quarter, I believe. Um, all right. I've got a book to recommend and in the vein of doing memoir, uh, a lot of which is uh, about getting your thoughts and your reflections on the page um, uh, and also dealing with adversity and all that kind of thing. I'm recommending The War of Art, Break Through the Blocks and Win Your Inner Creative Battles by Stephen Pressfield. Uh, this book has got uh, just nuggets of great information. They're done on one pages 
at a time, and you'll see the title, the top of the page of what he wants you to focus on. And it tells you things like um, a professional does not hesitate to ask for help. Uh, a professional does not take failure or success personally. A professional self-validates. Um, a professional reinvents himself and on and on and on. It's uh, it's really inspiring. It's uh, kind of one of these things you can just pick up. It, it, it focuses on this um, idea of resistance, you know, as creators. You know, we're, we're, we face this resistance all the time of whether to put our work out there, wh how we're going to say it, what we're going to do. Um, he says resi <laughs> resistance is insidious, it's impractical, it's impersonal, uh, it's invisible, it haunts you, it, <laughs> it chases you down. Anyway, it's a lot of good stuff in here. The War of Art, uh, not the Art of War, but the War of Art. So that's my recommendation. So, All right, uh, we've got an elevator pitch, uh, Joel Burkett. Uh, Joel, is, uh, his book is coming out in February this month, and it's I think it's his fourth or fifth novel, we had him on the show a couple of years ago. He is a, like me, recovering trial lawyer. He's recovered a lot better. His books are doing really, really well. Uh, he's an, He was an environmental lawyer, and he writes environmental thrillers. Um, and this one uh, is called Reap the Wind, and here's his elevator pitch. Hi, I'm Joel Burkett, author of Reap the Wind. Reap the Wind is an action-adventure thriller in which three lawyers flee Houston, heading to Cincinnati in a rented Lincoln town car. They must drive across Texas and the Midwest in the midst of the worst climate change-induced hurricane of the century so Josh Goldberg can be with his girlfriend who's giving birth to their baby. They have to survive a hurricane, tornado, hailstorm, driving rain, and each other to get there. This novel is The Perfect Storm Meets the Firm. There uh, we go. Hannah, they're going to show up on your doorstep. I was, I know. I was just <laughs> waving at them <laughs> outside my window. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks uh, for that. Uh, let's let's jump into this uh, memoir edition of the show here. We're going to start. Uh, Hannah, you're going to start with an inspiration-related question for uh, Bruce. Uh, what you got? Gosh, I mean, you know, I, Bruce, I feel like I have so many questions for you, especially just knowing you um, as well. But I think I'd like to start just with, you know, you have a kind of an opening part of your book, and a note from you, the author, to your readers directly. And you kind of tell us it took you 10 years to kind of get it all out on paper. Um, what was the initial moment that you had where you were like, all right, it's time for me to start this process? Mm. Well, I, I, I think when you when you go some, through something in your life, Hannah, like cancer, and especially when it happens at exactly the same time you're selling your business, there are a lot of stories that come out of that. And you tell those stories to your friends, to family, um, and then you start thinking about what will happen to them someday. And and how will you preserve them? And so putting them on paper is the only way to turn them into legacy. And I guess it was maybe, well, now, almost five years ago, when I said pen to paper would be best. And so that's what I started doing. And gradually it grew into the first draft. And that's how books start. Um, you, just, you just sit down one day and start writing. <laughs> yeah. yeah um and speaking of the inspiration i'm gonna shift to gilda for a second uh 
Gilda, this book covers a lot of territory, uh, time as well as quantity. Um, but it starts with a story uh, uh, related to one of your relatives. And then you're exploring this thing called Healing Touch Throughout. And I'm wondering, what was that moment when you said, oh, I've got I've got this through line here. I've got this idea that's going to take me from start to finish. Was it that connection with your relative who you found out did this thing called healing touch <laughs> or what was it? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't, um, well, he, he never called it healing touch. My yeah. grandfather, he never yeah. called it that. He just, we just thought that was normal behavior. And, mm. and, and actually Landis, as you asked that question, it started with the healing touch. When I started the book, I just started writing about the spiritual director and the healing touch, 9-11 and those three things that followed. And it was later I made the connection once I discovered the connection and I brought it back to the beginning of the book because I can't go back to Italy because um, to get more information because of 9-11. I mean, I could, but um, so that, so it really, I went through the book and wrote it and then came back and realized the connection. And that's when I put it in the book. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, we ought to probably ground the listeners a little bit on what healing touch is, since we're going to talk about it some today. Um, What is it? Okay. So healing touch is, a lot of people know the term Reiki, but what it is, it's um, actually working on energetically people's we we have seven chakras and there's probably more and it's um actually working on them to help heal because each chakra has a different um you know body part and so um and so it it's a modality that you lay down on a table and somebody works over you and if you've had reiki done um it's and it's it's adjusting your energy not only in your body, but in the fields around you. Okay, we're going to back up just a second because, um, you know, we've jumped in here with a couple of questions about inspiration, but I think it would help our listeners to know a little bit about um, these two books uh, before we dive into some more questions. We'll start with Bruce. Bruce, just kind of give us a little overview of what uh, people are going to uh, get when they uh, read your book. Well, the the story, Landis, uh, really covers a four-month period in the summer of 2010 when, just as I'm about ready to begin negotiations for the sale of my company, I discover that I have cancer in my throat. And I'm faced with the decision of whether to put the sale on hold and treat the cancer or go ahead and complete the sale and then treat the cancer later. Well, there are pros and cons to that, but um, if the buyer gets away, you know, I may lose him, I may not find another. But if I don't treat the cancer, it may get worse. Um, So what should I do? And I finally decide that everything in life is not an either-or decision. Everything doesn't have to be this or that. Sometimes both and is as good a choice as either-or. 
So with that in mind, I said, let's do both. Let's treat the cancer and sell the business all at the same time. And that's fine, except to do that, you have to lean back and let others lean in. And that can be difficult when you're the owner of a business and it's being sold. It's easy to turn the treatment of your cancer over to the professionals, but turning the sale of your business over to a lawyer in Washington, D.C. can be difficult. But that's what I needed to do. So it was in stepping back that I realized that the professionals could do both far better than I could. And that may be a lot of the wisdom in the story, is simply letting letting others do the job when they are better at it than you are. And you're often not the best person to do the job. Yeah, I can understand how turning things over to lawyers can be difficult. <laughs> Being a lawyer myself. <laughs> uh, but before we kick it back over to Hannah, um, for some questions to Bruce about the book itself. Um, Gilda, Bruce described the time period that he was dealing with in his memoir. Your time period is is a long, tell our listeners the time period you're dealing with and why you chose to deal with that length of time. Okay. So my time period starts right after 9-11. That's when my time period goes. And it goes till about, I don't, I don't know, 2000 and not, 2004, 2005, because then I'd get very comfortable and have made sense of 9-11 as much as one could. And um, and then fast forward um, 15 years and uh, the 2016 election becomes my new 9-11. So there was a, sort of a gap in there, but it actually, if you think about it, it's still going on now. I mean, from now until past the pandemic. So there's two bodies of time. And, um, and, and in that first body of time, I uh, find a spiritual director that helps me make sense of the world, who I'm hoping will help me make sense of the world. And at the same time, find a healing touch practitioner that just sort of happened upon, I happened upon when I went up to Well of Mercy. So, um, so those are two bodies of time um, that the book is about. And I always Think of it as fast forwarding 15 years, and then we get to this time period. All right. So now, Hannah, I'm going to turn it back over to you and let you explore some questions with Bruce, and then I'm going to come back. And Gilda, you and I are going to talk a little bit about your book. Um, okay. We're just having fun bouncing around here. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, this is great. I love that we have two awesome memoirists here. There's so much to unpack with everyone's individual stories. So this is a lot of fun. Um, Bruce, I kind of want to start with the quote that you chose to include at the very beginning of the book, which is from Marcel Proust. And he says, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Um, so powerful. I love, I feel like it's the perfect thing to kind of open up your story with. Um, can you just sort of talk about why you chose that quote and how it kind of pertains to the themes that readers will sort of identify while they're reading? Yeah, well, I, I like Proust and, and, and I especially like that quote because I, I think we all keep looking for answers in new landscapes, we mm-hmm. we think that if we get the right angle to to look at the situation, we will we will see some new thing. Um, 
but it's not the journey that matters. It's the eyes you're looking through. And if you, if you alter your vision, you can alter your, your point of view. And, and so that gives us an entirely different landscape. And I think throughout the story, um, I will see myself evolve and transform from the person I was to the person I have become because of simply looking at things differently, changing my perspective, changing my point of view. Um, so that's the wisdom of the of the quote, I think. And I, uh, I used that epigraph because I like it, but also because it fit the theme of the book. And I came back to it several times throughout the course of the writing. Oh, did you? I think that's great. It's nice to have sort of like a an anchor almost to pull yeah. you back in, especially because for you, so with this book, like you said earlier, you know, you have two kind of major events happening um, at the at the same time. So yeah. you have the sale of your business that you're kind of negotiating and then you are diagnosed with um, throat cancer. So mm. these two major life events, I'm, I'm curious to know just sort of how you were able to... Um, I guess, flesh both of them out to the point where you, you could tie them together. Does that make sense? So kind of taking both of these life events. Well, and... well possibly. Um, let, let me let me try to answer your question this way, uh, mm -hmm. this way Hannah, and see, see if we're in the same wavelength. Um, there are the two stories. There's the cancer story and the sale of the business story. And those are, those could be two giant information information dumps, if you will, for the reader. But that gets kind of boring because if, you, if you're not interested in cancer and you're reading the book from a business perspective, you get bogged down in the cancer treatment. And the other way around, of course, if you're interested in the cancer treatment. So what my developmental editor, Betsy Thorpe, suggested was that I take those two, like two decks of cards and shuffle them together. And so the book is composed of short chapters that will talk about the cancer treat for, for a minute and then shift over to the sale of the business. And if you get bored with the sale of the business, then we'll switch back to the cancer treatment. And so it goes on through the story as the timeline progresses from the beginning of the sale and the beginning of the treatment, which happened to happen in the same week to the conclusion four months later, when not only do I ring the bell at Presbyterian Hospital on my last cancer treatment on Wednesday, but the check for the sale hits the bank on Thursday in the same week. So there's a four month gap between the sale of the business starting, the cancer treatment being diagnosed, and then the two being completed. So these two decks of cards are shuffled together. The story moves forward in tandem, and you come to the end at the same time. Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm asking, and I'm going to use this opportunity to just say that this is the beauty of having a developmental editor, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> Someone to <laughs> kind of help you. Well, Absolutely. yeah, 
Especially if there's anybody, if there's anybody you should be talking to, it's her. I just wrote it. <laughs> She's great. We we saw her and you, Bruce. You know, we were at the North Carolina Writers Network uh, conference several weeks ago, and she was telling us about you know all of the projects she works on. She's just like a force. But no, I mean that that's that's awesome, and I'm glad that it's it's kind of an interesting thing too with you. I'm sure not only you kind of help readers stay entertained because there's not one but two big things that are happening in your yeah. actual life. You could tell it was something that you did really well throughout this book was right with you know humility with emotion we really feel like you're talking with the reader um so how did you you know talk about your writing style a little bit because i think it's really unique in that way and even the fact that you kicked things off with a, a note directly to your readers talking about storytelling um was this sort of just like a natural decision that was made when you started writing or did you kind of want to make it intentionally make it that way well i think that may I think storytelling may be, as I look back on it, and, and I think one one thing that I would add, Hannah, is that memoir especially gives the writer a chance to look at the present and look at the past. It gives you a chance to think about what I know now versus what I thought then. And that involves transition, and that can be very powerful. And so as I thought about storytelling and looked back at my business career, I realized that I had never really been the kind of boss that told people what to do. Um, I told stories. I, um, I told stories about, especially about how to do things wrong. And the person who did the things wrong was almost always me. And so our, our company culture became one of, don't do it like Bruce, do it this way. <laughs> and you'll be more successful. And and I was fine with that because the employees seemed to love uh, creating a culture where, where if they did things the way Bruce didn't do them, then they would be successful. So storytelling has always been just part of, part of who I am, I guess. And so when I sat down to, well, to back up for a second, I wrote a weekly blog for four years, and each of those blog posts was more or less my telling a story, something that had happened in my life, why I made a particular choice, and then asking the reader what choice would they make, and starting a discussion with the reader. So maybe that's just who I am as a person. I, I, I'm fine to tell you my story, but but I also want to hear yours, and I, and I, I think yours is, to me, to me, I, I want to hear yours more than I want to tell you mine, and <laughs> and so I think if I sit down and write that way, um, as though I care about you as the reader, then maybe you respond to that, and you think you're visiting with a friend and not being lectured to. And maybe that was the way I ran the company. I didn't lecture to people. I told stories. And and maybe that's just the way I write. That's, oh, that's great. A good, yeah. That's a good uh, transition for me because what Bruce just said, he, you know, he's talking about there are no, there are no answers, only questions. And I want to go, I want to start with you and with, sort of with uh, what question were you or questions were you looking for the answers to when you started writing this book 
Uh, that's a great question because it was all about the questions. You know, after 9-11 happened, I just thought, what's going on in this world? You know, I felt like I'd been living in, in, in a world that I didn't know. And so I went in search for questions, basically. First, I went in search uh, to find someone who could make sense of the world, help me make sense of the world as it was going on um, in my life. And um, and then things just sort of, I, I thought of when Bruce was talking, the sort of synchronicity of ringing the bell and then selling the next day. And, and, and so I go and search I go, I decide, well, I found a spiritual director. I'm just going to take some time off, go on a retreat. And the next thing I know, there's this thing called healing touch and I can't get it out of my head. It's like, it's something I, I want to do. And I don't even know why, because at the time, I don't think I really realized it was connected to what my grandfather had done and brought over from, um, um, Sicily when he came as a young man and that my sister had been involved in something <laughs> called therapeutic touch. I just began to live into the questions mm. that kept unfolding. And um, because we all remember, most of us remember what life was like before 9-11. You know, I, I mean, now we have to take our shoes off when we go to the airport and there are all these other things. So as so as I moved on in, into the story, I was just able to um, learn things I had never learned about before. And then to have somebody work on me energetically always helped me to feel a little better. It also sent me deeper into myself to resolve things that I didn't really resolve in, in myself, even though I'd been in therapy and this is a whole different experience. And so, um, you know, that's how I saw the questions. And then, then you get to the point, I got to the point, well, okay, now I have it all figured out. I become a healing touch practitioner. I mean, everything's all figured out. And then 15 years later, you know, the world starts doing what the world does again. And I have to kind of readjust myself and 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 I take myself back to those times and try to remember what it was like how did I move through difficult challenging times yeah and when I first heard the word healing touch I was thinking um you know kind of like you know one of those old Star Trek episodes where they run one of those digital recorders over you and you feel better afterwards you know and, and but that's, yeah. that's somebody's broken a bone and they come in and they repair it but you're talking about a healing touch that actually helps with people's moods and their outlooks and how they're dealing with conflict and anxiety and all these different kind of things. And you're, you open yourself up Gilda, in this book quite a bit. You talk about uh, how your inability to have children while coming from a Italian big family culture, yeah. how that's affected your thinking. You talk about the friction with the church of your childhood and given the scandals in the Catholic church and the male dominant system that it encourages mm -hmm. and you, you talk about this pain from the political system where, as you said, truth seems to be have left on the doorstep. And then you mm -hmm. talk about how healing touch helps you work through that journey. But in some respects, though, um, I mean, writing this book and saying the end is not the end of dealing with those issues, right? Right. Yeah, because you don't know. You know, I wake up many morning and I think, okay. What's good? I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not like in a negative place, but there, things happen all the time that um, maybe I'm more aware 
you know, that things are happening. So it's not the end of the journey. That's why the word beyond ended up in the title. You know, I have two publishers and one of them, she just really pushed me on that, that subtitle. And, and it's because the pandemic isn't really gone yet either. I mean, the pandemic is gone, but COVID isn't really gone yet. And so it's a, it's, it's a constant process in life. And, um, and that's, and that's how I handled it. But I do want to say one thing, Landis, about when you're doing energy work on somebody, um, when you brought that up, uh, it, sometimes it it does affect and help the, the physical. I mean, oh, that, okay. that can be a part of it. It's not just the emotional, you know, it happens to appear more emotional because I'm an emotional person, but it also can help the physical. And I, and, and during the times I talk about being on the table and sister Bridget is working on different parts of my body. I'm also working with a medical doctor. Um, I don't know, you know, if you remember, I've also maybe have gone to the medical doctor and I'm, I want to be sure I'm getting it all. And so I'm going to have both the medical world and the alternative world um, in my healing. Well, as part of this holistic approach, I may have to get you to touch a certain part of my back because it's been, uh, <laughs> Ooh, act, you know, acting up a little bit. But one, one more question here, and then we're going to jump into some readings. Um, yeah, I can tell from your book that you're a very spiritual person, but spirituality is not uh, confined to a particular religion, or you know, it, it's it's more than that, and. If you could just explain, because you you've tried lots of different, you've drawn to mysticism and spirituality, yeah. and you've tried lots of different things. Uh, you enjoy experimenting, so to speak. Uh, yes. Tell us what the options on the menu are for uh, exploring spirituality. Uh, what you want me to give you some of the uh, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I I the thing I'd love is the the first time I saw you afterwards down at Park Road Books, yeah, yeah. you said to me, oh, I want, yeah, I'm not gonna say what you exactly said. Yeah, I'll yeah, just give, yeah. I'll just give you the menu and we yeah. both laugh. Yeah, but yeah. um but you know I've I've tried a lot of besides doing energy work, I I I am an avid dreamer and I write down my dreams and I've done dream analysis and I mean not with anyone in particular but mm -hmm. I and I'm involved with the Charlotte Friends of Young and so um, since I was uh, in high school I got very interested in astrology and um, what are some of the other things I've been interested in I mean it, so I'm interested in astrology dream and dream dreams dream work and um and, you know, when I went through the program, we had to go and visit other kinds of um, healthcare people. So I've gone to acupuncture. I went to, um, which is is not that big an alternative anymore. And um, someone who It, it did, was for me. It was for me when I tried oh, it. <laughs> did you try it? I did try it. I tried it. And uh, Dang. how about that? Really? Yeah. These How is that? Out, these things come out on the podcast inadvertently. Yeah, the, the things uh, we down. learn, right? I tried it, uh, but then I'm riding down the road and I find a needle in my head and I'm thinking, oh, they missed one, you know. So um, I, uh, Janet swears by it. She 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 thinks it's, oh, it, it works. Uh, it didn't work as well for me for what they were dealing with. But I'm not opposed to the idea. I mean, look, anything that people can do that might help the situation, uh, you know, right. that's a different form of medicine. Um, there's got, yeah. they've been studying that thing for, 
hundreds and thousands of years. So that's um, right. Yeah. Don't say no to that. Op- hey, we're, we're not going to get into Landis's uh, acupuncture history. We're going <laughs> to. Yeah, oh, I do. I do a homeopathy too. <laughs> okay. I go to my medical doctor and I do homeopathy and right. you know, my poor Matt, I won't say what my medical doctors might yeah. say to me because what yeah. if one of them hears this, you know? Yeah, so. Exactly. Hey listeners, this is Sarah Archer with a brief request. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a short online review wherever you like to listen. Better yet, please tell your friends. If you do both, you get extra credit. Seriously, though, listeners learn about new podcasts by our views and words of mouth. So when you help us spread the word about Charlotte Readers podcast, more people meet our author guests and more readers and writers share our love of reading and writing. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Well, let's do this. We're going to jump over now um, and do some readings. Um, uh, We'll start with Bruce. Uh, Bruce, if you want to set up your reading, tell us kind of where it is in the book and why you chose it. And then just whenever you're ready, take it away. Okay. Well, um, I decided to start right at the beginning, um, on the first page, chapter one. And I'm only going to read a couple of paragraphs, but in these opening paragraphs, you're going to learn, as the reader is going to learn some things that they can use. First, you're going to understand the set of the business, and you're going to understand that I'm worried about a lump on my neck and what could that be? And there are about 16 or more other things that you're going to learn in these first couple of paragraphs that are going to really give the reader, hopefully, a hook to get them turning the page. So that's what this intends to do. Chapter 1, page 1, April 15, 2010. The sun had just begun to reach the top of the tall oaks along the sixth fairway when I stepped out the back door that Thursday. I paused, but only for a moment, to think about the life I had built and how happy I was with how things had turned out. There were times I was fearful, but not anymore. Today was going to be one of those defining moments people dream about, but rarely see happen. It was the day talks would begin with the buyer of my company, a company that had started with nothing and grown over the past 30 years to where it is today. Taking a deep breath of spring air, a second cup of coffee in my hand, I started across the terrace, surveying the rolling back lawn, savoring the peaceful setting we had chosen to live about the rest of our lives. We bought the house a half a dozen years back, and the work we had done on the landscaping was already paying off. The grass had filled in after the grading, and the azaleas were now coming into bloom. I'd pruned the nandina in February, hoping to have more berries this season. I was proud of our work on our home and knew my parents would be as well if they were still alive. Walking down the steps, To the freshly cut lawn, I headed toward the shop and garage. I had been breathing deep recently, perhaps preparing for the day I would blow out all 69 candles with a single breath when the family gathered for my birthday. For the umpteenth time that morning, I ran my left hand over the side of my neck. I had discovered the bump about the size of a AA battery Tuesday evening, 
It was probably just a clogged saliva gland, like the oral surgeon said on Wednesday, when he prescribed the antibiotics. I'd taken the first only yesterday and one this morning, so there were still eight in the vial. He said it could take several days for my immune system to calm down, so all I could do was keep taking the pills and wait. Be patient, Joyce had said, but being patient was something I had never done well. When I reached the driveway pavers, I stomped the glass clippings from my shoes, then walked to the side door. I paused before entering to glance at the teak bench under the giant oak. I often sat on the weathered bench watching the morning sun fill the sky and thinking about how things had turned out and how the life I wanted was possible when I believed hard enough. Few knew me when it all started, yet here I was, surrounded by more than I had ever imagined. And while many said I was self-made and should be proud, I knew it was only with the help of so many guiding hands, the people putting their shoulders to my wheel, adding drops to the overflowing bucket of my life that had gotten me where I was today. Self-made, I laughed to myself. There's no such thing. All right, thank you, Bruce. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, that's, that's that brings us in because you you set the tension up behind uh, you know what looks like it's going to be a perfect perfect day, um, and we know we've got a sense of what's coming. Gilda, um, tell us uh, what you selected, uh, where we find it in the book, and. Uh, little bit about why you selected it and then you can take it away whenever you're ready okay um <clears throat> i started on the top of chapter two the title is on retreat and this journey began after 9 11 as i've mentioned earlier and the story fast forwards to the present day in many ways i'm still on this journey this is three and a half months after 9 11 and the setting is Well of Mercy Retreat Center, north of Statesville in Harmony, North Carolina. And I chose this because I think it sort of um, begins how the story um, started. And it was in January, four years after my initial visit to Well of Mercy, and after finding a spiritual director to whom I could speak openly about what was going on in my life. I scheduled a retreat for the end of the month. The first person who greeted me when I arrived late that afternoon was Julia. After settling my suitcase, books, and other belongings in my room, I slipped out for a quick walk down to Hunting Creek before dinner. As they've always done, the nuns, staff, and guests gathered in a circle, and Sister Bridget offered a blessing. It included a huge welcome to everyone, especially new arrivals. I sat with Julia for dinner, and that's when she told me that Sister Bridget was participating in a program in something called Healing Touch. Maybe you'd like to experience it, Julia said. I had a sense of Healing Touch because my sister Nikki, a nurse, had gone to workshops on therapeutic touch when we were still single and roommates in Boston. Plus, there was my maternal grandfather, who had done his own type of healing work on my family and me while I was growing up those customs he brought over from his hometown of Lingoglossa in Sicily. So the idea of a practice having to do with healing was not all that foreign to me. I asked Julia what exactly it was Sister Bridget did, 
Julia told me that Healing Touch was new to her too and that I'd have to get the details from Bridget. It didn't matter what Bridget had to say. Something was tugging at my heart and I blurted out, can you ask her if she has time to do Healing Touch on me? Once I asked the question, that was it. All I could do that night was wonder whether Sister Bridget would say yes. My intention for this particular retreat had been to journal and delve into questions about my true purpose in life, especially after having found a spiritual director to guide me through these changing times. Even though I didn't know the full extent of what I would be getting into, all I could, all I could think about was whether or not Bridget would be willing to do healing touch on me. Okay, great. Thanks for those readings. Um, we're going to, um, in a little bit of time we have left, we're just going to talk a little bit about uh, writing life and writing stuff, uh, which we typically do at the end of these episodes. And uh, we've got some some thoughts that have been thrown out to us by you when you um, provide us some information for us. Uh, I'm intrigued by one of the things, Bruce, that you said in your uh, uh, in the material you sent us, you said writing is a poor man's therapy. Could you expand on that, please? Writing is a poor man's therapy. Those were your words. Uh, yeah, I did say <laughs> that, didn't I? <laughs> uh, and, and, and I think that's true. I mean, you write something, and especially if 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 it comes back with a little sticky note from the editor that says, say more, or if it comes back with a sticky note that says, um, go deeper, uh, <laughs> you, you have to be prepared to answer that. And so it's much like maybe I've never, I've never been to it. If you didn't like acupuncture, I do. I'm not sure I would like therapy, but I might. So I need to try it perhaps. But I would think a good therapist would simply ask me, why did you do that or why did you say that? And that's what I kept asking myself as I was writing. And the more the more I asked myself that, the more I would peel back layers and find different truths and things would appear and and it just evolved that way. And so I do think writing, um, putting your thoughts on paper, letting them sit for a day or two going back and look at him, looking at him a day or two later and saying, do I really mean that, is a form of therapy. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's not at all expensive. <laughs> well, that's Good great. Point. <laughs> Good point. Uh, and, and that sort of ties in very well to uh, uh, a comment that, Gilda, you shared with us, and it was uh, editing is another form of creativity. Can you uh, expand on that? Yes, I love to edit. Um, I think some of my students are like, well, if they stick with me, they know I'm a bit of an obsessive editor. But when you go in, I mean, so you write it out and then you go in and someone says, you know, you need to explain this better or this isn't quite right. Or you feel that way, like I feel that way. When I go in, I get to sort of rewrite and I don't necessarily stay right with, I mean, I have to stay with the, with, with, with what I'm thinking about, but I get to be creative to, I can expand it, I can reduce it. And so I find that, I find that very creative to be able to, to do that kind of writing, to, to be able to expand it yeah. or play with it or move it around or change it or put it in a different spot. To me, that's pretty creative. 
Yeah, you also said, Gilda, that many students want to, and want to jump in way too early on finding a publisher. And, uh, yeah. and, you, and that's another process altogether. Uh, and you basically say, go do your research. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> what do I say? Go, what do I say? You said every writer has to do their research uh, when yeah. they're talking about finding a publisher. But, but on this point of, I guess, um, it's impatience maybe um, when it comes to, uh, I mean, look, you're just starting to write the thing, right? So mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit, because you've taught memoir for many years. Uh, the, yes, this yeah. in, impatience factor that comes with, wanting to be published. Yes, I think that um, I, I sort of work on that early on. Like, let's get a story down. I mean, how could, what do you want to get published? And then publishing is a whole different animal. You know, it's really a business. And um, I have um, three students who have gotten book, well, two have gotten their books published and one will come out either the end of this month or in January. And, and they spent many years going deeper. You know, I'm, I'm good at taking people deeper because I do that. And, um, and their stories are terrific and they've spent a lot of time on them. And I just, and they were, um, even though one of them, she never thought, well, two of them never thought they were going to publish. And it just, you know, one thing led to another. And so I just say, get to the story. And, and Judy Goldman, who we've talked about before, I remember her saying when I, I took poetry with her years ago, this is the best part of the process is the writing. And now I have a couple of them are going, oh, Gilda, this part is so hard, you know, and um, and and so, you know, the, the business part of it. And so I think just to enjoy the writing, there's so much. And, you know, when I started teaching at Queens um, College at the time, um, I remember saying to myself, I'm doing this for two years and then I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to teach anymore. And now I'm on my 24th year because I love the stories, not just my stories, but I just love the stories. And I love to help people go deeper and do because when they go deeper, I go deeper with my work. So. Now, now, Bruce, I know that you were, um, you know, a business guy for years. You weren't sitting around writing books. uh, And so you came into this thing kind of new. What lesson or maybe is there is there what's the biggest lesson you learned about uh, what you didn't know when it came to writing uh, now that you now that you've been through it and you know more than you did to begin with? What's the benefit in doing it for me? Well, what's what was what was one of the lessons I guess uh, that you learned about the writing process itself? Well, gee, there there are a long list of lessons. Um, the one is the minute you think you know what's going on is when you should realize you don't. Um, <laughs> that's, that's true still today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The minute. The minute you think you got it figured out, you ain't. Uh, because <laughs> the whole publishing, writing world is just born to somebody who ran their own business for years and, um, you know, grew up in that hierarchy uh, of a business environment. So um, I've just learned a whole bunch. I'm. I'm I'm certainly the oldest guy on this on this podcast, I'm sure. 
And I have learned more in the last year than probably any single year in my life because this is all new to me. Uh, and that's that's exciting. And that's why I would encourage people my age to to pick up a pen and sit down and write some stories and put them on paper because that's the only legacy they're going to have. And they're going to learn a lot about themselves when they do it. And as we wrap up here, I know, Gilda, you've been teaching for many years. You've been writing a lot uh, yeah. in lots of different uh, formats and genres. Um, but, you know, we're always learning. So um, what did you learn on this uh, journey in terms of uh, your own writing and how it fit into the story that you wanted to tell? Oh, well, I was sure that my story was done in 2017. And I I ended it, it was at the end when I became a healing touch practitioner in 2004, I closed the book. It was an, and I walked down the stairs and I went over to our community pool and I jumped in and I swam to the other side and something, I jumped up, I said, this story is not done. And I was like, what? What do you mean? story's not done. And so, you know, here it is, I get it published in 2023. And I have that whole part two in it. So I learned, I think it's the same thing Bruce is saying, that, you know, you just have to kind of follow the journey, because you don't know, you don't always know where it's going to lead you. And the writing allows that. And, you know, I do poetry um, a lot, too. And it's, and for me, memoir is like, like poetry where you just follow it and see where it's going to take you. But that really was a shocker because I'd already worked on it for years and, um, and that happened. And so, uh, you know, that's the way it goes in and writing memoir. Anything else you want to end with here? You know, I kind of, I think um, I, I wanted to, I was just reading through the suggestions that both of you sent, which were all great about memoir writing. Um but I wanted to kind of talk about just for a second, uh, Bruce, you said indie authors, you're, they're legit. <laughs> and um, I like that you, and I remember when I first talked with you for the very first time, Bruce said to me, he was like, you know, self-published authors, there's some really great ones. There's really great authors, you know? Um, and I guess that journey of getting published for both of you, I, how do you, do you feel like if you, I guess we'll start with you, Bruce, just looking back on your journey to publication, um, did you enjoy the path that you chose? Did you, as you know, being self-published? Well, uh, yes, very much. I, I think for, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it's a self-publishing um, or you can call it printing on demand. You can give it a lot of different names. But number one, it's a whole lot faster. I, I can get a, mark, a book to market much quicker self-published than I can by waiting for one of the giant publishers to ever even read it. So that's number one. Number two, uh, in self-publishing, you keep control of things. You You control the cover. You control the title. You control how the book is written, the artwork, everything else. That may not be true if you turn it over to one of the publishers. Um, and unless you're with one of the big five, uh, you're going to do all of the marketing anyway. So why not self-publish and, and, and do the marketing yourself? So I, 
there may have been a stigma associated with self-publishing 10 or 15 years ago. That's gone. Um, I, I think self-publishing is the, is the future. I, the, the big publishers have turned it into a, a huge business like the streaming companies have done to video. Uh, and they're aggregating eyeballs, and that's not the way artists should work. Um, so I think you lose a lot of your own creativity when you turn something over to somebody else. Points, and uh, I know Gilda, you you took a different route. No route's the wrong way. You got you got yeah. a publisher, and the and the thing the thing about having all the control that's the pro. The con is having all the control, and maybe it's sometimes nice <laughs> to give some of that control to somebody else, right, Gilda? <laughs> Oh yes, absolutely right. I I I started with a very with a small publisher. Well, she was like a, a subsidiary of a larger company in California, and she was just she was a small company. She was an Italian American, so she really got my story right from the onset. The first one, my father's daughter, and she um and she said to me, look, I'm here for a lot longer than the first six months. And I, and so she's still part of the second book because I have two publishers. So it was a small company. She was wonderful to work with. She just, um, and so, and so is my second. And, and so we just, I think it's finding the smaller publisher that really helped me. I mean, I thought I wanted to be with the bigger publisher, but I, I'm just, I've just been happy with with um, both experiences, and also, you know, you've already figured out this me metaphysical stuff I'm into. I just figure things are the way they're supposed to be, and um, sometimes early on, I don't. I was like, "When's this going to happen?" and um, and then it happens like at the perfect time. But you know, I do want to say one thing that sort of jumps on something that I think Bruce might have said. If you don't write your story, whether you publish it or don't publish it, self-publish it, small publish it, or the bigger, if you don't write your story, it will die with you. Or somebody else will tell your story. And do you want them to tell your story or do you want to tell your own story? And um, so, I, I mean, I've just had, I have had um, good luck with um, both of my publishers and they've been really helpful. And um, But it took me a while, you know, initially to find her. It was one of those fluky things, and um, and then it went from there. That's great. Well, that's that's good advice about uh, writing writing your own story. So hey, we want to thank both of y'all for being here. Thanks, Bruce, for being a part of this, and thanks, Gilda, for being a part of this as well. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. I I enjoyed being here with all of you. It was a lot of fun. Hey, folks, as we wrap up another episode, we just want to say thank you for listening. Um, we appreciate you being here and we hope you enjoyed the show. We also hope you'll join our community. To do that, feel free to poke around our website, charlotteleaderspodcast.com. Um, the best way to stay in touch is to sign up for our twice monthly newsletter, and you can do that via the contact page on the website. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. We're not going to do that. You can also use our website to read our community blog and show notes, submit an elevator pitch to be played on the show, submit a blog post, give us feedback, submit to be on the show, become a Patreon supporter, and to see what's coming up on the show next, order our podcast books, or listen to previous episodes. So many things, and the best part, it's all free. Until the next episode, this is Hannah LaRue, and on behalf of Sarah Archer and Landis Wade, read on, write on, and rock on.